Not far from the edge of our village, there is a well whose opening has been boarded up to keep children like me from understanding the truth. This well has been an important source of water, one of the four main wells that the villagers' five a hundred-ish residents relied on for almost as many years. But keeping us from the truth, or the truth away from us, was more important than keeping every water supply open. The water would have been unfit to drink at this point anyway. I heard my father's friends grumble to each other. I knew the truth, of course. When one child of the village knew, the rest would too. And we had been partial witnesses the day of its condemnation. The last day the well had still been open and inviting. The truth is that my brother had been a hero at that well. They should have put up a statue of him or something to his honor at that well, but nobody would go near it after he had gone down and never came back up. And they had boarded it up and performed the cleansing, protective rituals over it. This was four years ago. A little girl had fallen into the well one careless afternoon in July when the rest of us had been playing nearby. She had tugged at the rope trying to get a drink of water and it had given in, reeling in after her, bucket and all, so that we had no way of pulling her out. Now that I think of it, she might have been playing tug-of-war at the time without knowing it, and lost. A few of us ran to get help, but we knew it would be just a little too late if someone didn't act now to save the girl. We could hear her echoing calls from the bottom, alive and miraculously unhurt, but fighting to stay afloat always on the verge of drowning. The water level was so low we couldn't see anything that far down. We knew she was suspended in utter darkness and the cold of the underworld where not even the heat of the sun could reach. She had survived till now, but we had given her up for dead. But not my brother. My brother, a fourteen and fearless, had made up his mind. He had gone in after her, he lowered himself down the well inch by inch, by setting his feet flat against one side of the well and his back pushed against the other, his arms outstretched on either side as he walked himself farther and farther down. Slowly, he let himself deeper into the well until the light of the fading day could not touch him, and he was lost from our view. All the way down, he called to the girl, coaching her on how to stay afloat until he could get to her. Her splashing grew less frantic, more purposeful as she heard him and calmed down. My brother was a born leader. All the kids trusted him, even though we all knew he wouldn't be able to climb back out with her until help arrived. It was a great comfort just to have him waiting alongside you in the depths of nothingness, speaking courage where you had none. I got you, I heard my brother say somewhere in the dark before long. I've got you. Just hold on to me. They'll come for us soon, I promise. And they did come. The village firemen trudged in with their proud new floodlight precariously attached to their jalopy of a fire engine, followed by a crowd of people, adults and more children, and threw themselves importantly into the scene. This wasn't the first time someone had fallen into one of the village wells. It was an easy shot to glory for them. We children were jolstered out of the way to give them room to act. I wanted to stay and watch my brother emerge the hero he was, 
I could still hear him and the girl calling up to the firemen to let them know they were down there and they were alive and to hurry. They should have hurried instead of putting on a show of keeping people back, the same people they had brought as witnesses. And they should have hurried. The scene was getting crowded. I was getting faint from the heat of the sun and the intensity of the situation, having never witnessed a village well rescue myself. But I was famous at home for my inconveniently timed sun fevers, as my father called them, and my weak heart. I was lucky to be alive, and the doctors had told my parents at my birth, told them my brother was lucky to have a younger brother to play with. Unfairly, my mother, also present at the scene, sensed my worsening condition and had sent my nurse to drag me home to wait for them and my brother to return. I was already growing bleary with unease, upset at myself for not being able to stay. Finally, I had given in just as the firemen had dismantled the floodlight to bring it over to the side of the well, preparing to go in. They hadn't yet lowered the rope. I remember being carried back home, half asleep, over my uncle's shoulder, with my nurse walking close by. My parents had both stayed behind at the well. I remember hearing the firemen shouting at people screaming, the fire engine creaking violently with hurried action. The rescue was well underway, though noisier than I thought it would be. We were far away enough down the dusty path that only the fair-flung echoes reached us. I fell asleep. When I woke up at home on the outdoor cot in our shaded veranda, it was getting on to evening. The balmy air gave way to a chill, and the mosquitoes were dotted on the nets over my head like the clingy visages of a nightmare. My nurses were sitting on the steps beside me, eavesdropping on the conversation going on inside from the open back door. I shot up and ran around her before she knew I was awake and flew into the house looking for my brother. I found my mother, instead, crying at the table. My father was on his feet beside her, hands on his hips. He could never sit down when he was upset. His eyes were red as if he had also been crying. I had never seen him cry. Around the table there was a fireman or two. The village priest sat near, comforting my mother. The village head had come and gone. I did not see my brother. Nobody would talk to me. The discussion had died the moment I barged into the room. My mother wanted to hold me, but hearing her crying into my hair woke up a deep fear in me, and since nobody would answer my shouted questions about my brother, I fled the house, leaving my parents pleading calls behind me like footprints. I wanted to run back to the well, sure he would be there, but I was stopped on the way by people coming back the other way, haggard, drawn, ill-looking. I recognized one of my friends returning with his own family. It seemed the whole village had made the trip to the well. The later ones were being turned back before they could get there. From what I heard, they had the village holy man praying over the well as the firemen hurriedly boarded up the opening. The rest were told to go home and pray. There would be a general meeting either later that night or early the next morning to discuss what to do moving forward. There was nothing else they could do. We had never seen a village well rescue turn out like this. The drama had always been straightforward. They got the child, or they didn't. The follow-up hardly needed more than a celebration or a period of mourning. But now they needed a plan. They needed protection. 
My head felt fuzzy with confusion. And my brother? I asked my friend as we walked back to the heart of the village. He glanced at my parents, who were talking to each other in hushed tones, perhaps just as thrown off as we were. Seeing they were distracted, my friend whispered to me, He wasn't there. They shone the light down the well, but he wasn't there. But we saw him go down there, and we heard them calling, I said, fighting down the panic in my chest. The firemen were already at the well when we heard them calling. Yes, my friend said, but hesitated before saying more. He couldn't understand it either. His face was ashen in the dimness of evening. They put the light down, and he wasn't there. And neither was Lena, the girl. But I heard them say there was something there, something else in the water. They had been sent away before anyone knew for sure. I didn't know what was worse, knowing or not knowing. His parents had taken notice of us, and had shepherded us into the middle of the walking party, like elephants would do with their young keeping us in the middle of the herd for protection. The whole family had encircled us as we went down the dusty path. I could sense their concern over my well-being, though they hardly said a word, perhaps not knowing what to say. We didn't talk after that. The crowd around us had grown a little, and it occurred to me that, with their respectful silence and their lanterns swinging gently in the night, we looked like a funeral march. They were grieving with me, they didn't know what had killed my brother, but they knew he was dead. If he hadn't been at the time, he was now. Rumor had it that the girl had died the moment she had hit the water. She couldn't have been calling out. What my brother had descended into was something else waiting for him. The people of my village believe in absolutes. He is dead or he isn't. She was alive or she wasn't. The children were in the well, or they weren't. There can be no in-between, no shades between black and white, life and death, no matter what we children had insisted that we alone had witnessed. The elders had decided to call the meeting at dawn, early enough that they were sure we children would be asleep. I heard about it after. Rumor is the unofficial village messenger and the most effective one we have. An hour after the meeting had ended, my family was fully aware, as every other family in the village, that we were not to go near that well. There would be the usual funeral rites for each child lost that day. Empty caskets, eulogies that tiptoed around the circumstances of their death, but unless we wanted to lose any more, uh, there would be no tempering with the barriers to the well. Whatever was down there would stay down there. And for what they had seen, no two firemen gave exactly the same description. What they agreed on was that there had been a creature in the dark water, but no children. Any survivors would have been swiftly dealt with, they said, before they could have done anything. The priests were undivided, more certain about what they believed they saw. Evil. The beam of light they had thrown into the void had brought up slivers of truth. A grayish mottled skin, like ancient flesh, stretched over long limbs, unblinking fish-like eyes, and there was a smile of some sort on what you might call a face, 
a hideous, elongated, animalistic smile, a grimace of flashing teeth, human-like, but not. They had yanked the light back, afraid to see any more of it, and yet they could hear the children still calling even as they did so. The firemen swore that they had heard them, both of them, calling out to them to please hurry. They threw the flood of light down before the last echoes had even died out. All they saw was that waiting smile and the flat, dark eyes, half emerged from the murky water, waiting. Do you believe in mermaids? In our village, sliced by a river but so far from any lake or ocean, we have a different lore, a different name for those creatures. I hate to say the word out loud now, even in writing. We had not expected them to turn up in wells, but since these creatures are rumored to live in cave pools, it stood to reason they might have traveled through underground reservoirs and found themselves under our village, using our wells as occasional feeding holes. Could they imitate human voices? Who knew? We only knew what we heard. Rumor is also our messenger between villages. Ours was not the only one visited from the underground. We were lucky, said the elders of one of the neighboring settlements. We had only one well infested, only two children missing. We didn't have to draw water from our remaining wells that came up cloudy, darkened, and smelling of rust. We hadn't had to board up all of our wells like the other settlements had and flee the village in mass, leaving only ghosts behind. We didn't have the things climbing out of the wells without warning. When that happened, it was over. Rather than believing what we heard, some of our villagers insisted instead that the firemen were lying, that they had found the children dead, drowned, too late, and used the story to pretend it wasn't their fault. I didn't think so. Our claims were all in disputes, but we agreed on ground rules. Nobody strayed by the open wells too long, and nobody went to draw water alone. The protection of daylight and the warnings of the full moon didn't matter. They came out when they were hungry. Time and the absence of further incidents cast the whole events into the vivid blurriness of legend. A nightmare. A bad memory. Nothing more. Nothing so far had turned up in the other wells, and slowly but surely, life crept back to its normal rhythms, if not its usual innocence. Still, the other villages remained empty. Nobody came back. We're just waiting our turn. Just waiting for a reason. Now that I'm older, I sometimes find myself wandering close by that condemned well my brother had climbed into, stopping by the hidden opening in broad daylight, always in broad daylight. The worn wooden boards were more recently upgraded to corrugated metal sheets held fast with bolts the size of my fist. I would stand there, lingering and remembering. If the sun is high and my fever returns, I sometimes imagine I hear something tapping at the covering from the other side, asking, in my brother's voice and with a smile, to be let out. Well, that town is Bearskin River, 
Pretty much a tiny town of around 2,000 people. It's in Missouri, surrounded by a few mountains. Damn nice climate here. Warm, but not muggy. Has a nice river, obviously. Good fishing there. I quite like it here. It's rural, so I can do whatever I please. I'm blessed enough to be able to work at home with my IT job, so I can lay back with a beer and a warm breeze. Well, all sounds peaceful here. And it was. But it ain't now. Perhaps it never was, because of that man, Philip. So my neighbor, Philip, we'll just call him Phil. (laughs) What can you say about Phil? (laughs) For starters, his house is a lot nicer than mine, or just about every other person's in town. Almost a damn mansion. He's about 60, in good shape for his age, has buzz-cut gray hair, and walks like a cowboy with his hands on his belt. Phil is kind of the man about town. Not a single person doesn't know him, or his accomplishments. He's been the mayor here at Bearskin River for eight years. He's also a single father. His wife, Merrill, skipped town one day. For a while now, he's been working on this one project. He's been making a model of Bearskin River. Because this place is so small, he's been making good progress. He's invited me over to see it a few times, and it's pretty in detail. It's impressive. Anyway, around two weeks ago, Phil's daughter Jane went missing. Said she was going out for a hike. We have some nice mountains here, and it's the summer, so it's plenty warm. Not out of the ordinary. Fred called 911 when she wasn't back by night. A search party went out the next day. Nothing. Not even a trace. They said they'd keep searching, but three days later, they gave up. Phil was pissed, but clearly very worried. He said he'd find her himself. He put together his own search party, with himself at the lead and a few locals. They hiked all the trails, spread out evenly off of them, but couldn't find a trace of her. Then, some other weird stuff started. First was Harold. He was a drunkard that leered at any woman who went by. I wasn't his friend, not even his acquaintance. The man who found his body was his friend, an equally drunk and rowdy man by the name of Alan, but he wasn't nearly as obnoxious. He was a fun party guy. I would probably hang out with him more, if not for Harold. Even then, I was distraught and horrified when I saw Harold's body hanging off the old water tower. His lungs were gone, ripped clean out with a perfect hole in his chest. His dick was stuffed in his mouth and his tongue was ripped out. There was holes all over his body like someone went at him with a drill. His legs looked like a flesh candle, almost as if someone had melted them. That mix of skin, muscle, and dripping blood, all hanging down, will never leave my sight. All of us in town were spooked. I mean, stuff like that just doesn't happen in a small town like Bearskin River. There was a theory that the same person who killed Harold was also responsible for Jane's disappearance. I didn't believe it. I didn't want to. We had no police presence here. Something I'm usually okay with, but with a potential serial killer lurking about, I was thinking differently. I resolved to keep my head down. I consider myself a tough and rural type of guy. But after I saw what happened to Harold, I wasn't going to risk my life like a dumbass. 
I was damn bored holing myself up in the house, though, and I knew just who to invite over. Terry's my best friend. She went hunting, fishing, and hiking with me. A true, avid outdoorsman in general. Despite the two deaths, she didn't stop her hikes around the mountains. Her father was a hunter in his younger years, took her all over the mountains. They'd camp there for a few days, come back with some deer, and if I was lucky, they might share some venison with me. I sent her a text, asked her if she wanted to come and chill and maybe get drunk. She didn't respond. The next day after, she hadn't even read my text by noon. I went to her house. I knocked, but there was no answer. I knew where she kept her spare keys. They were buried in the dirt in a small planter containing some sunflowers. I knocked again and yelled, Terry? You all right in there? I'm kind of freaked out because of all this shit going on. No response. I unlocked her door and went inside. The TV was running, but everything else looked pretty undisturbed. Empty. I checked around the house, calling her name, but there was no answer. I searched every inch of that place, but she just wasn't there. She didn't skip town because her car was still there, and I was officially scared as fuck. I dialed 911 and somehow managed to report a disappearance through my tears choking me. Search party goes out, walks around for three days, and leaves. This time, they found the body, though. She, well, the official cause of death is blood loss. It was suspected she just never stopped walking for about five days straight, based on the boot prints. She was probably still alive when they went up there. Damn it all, if they'd just tried a little harder, she'd still be alive. Today I was just staying at home, just laying in bed, listening to music, thinking about my dead friend. I heard a scream from Phil's house. It was a man's scream. It was cut off shortly, but I definitely heard it. It sure didn't sound like Phil, and I wanted no part of whatever the hell was going on there. But if that was a murder, I had an obligation to go there. It wasn't so much any courage or justice or anything truly altruistic that made me want to go. It was the chance of avenging my friend. If I saw Phil in there with a body, I was going to beat him within an inch of my life and then tell him to rot in prison for what he did to Jane and Harold and Terry. Death was too good for him. But even then, I'm not sure I wouldn't give it to him. I prowled around his house. I had my hunting knife on me and my rifle slung over my shoulder. As stupid as this sounds, I knocked on his door. Bastard didn't answer, of course, so I tried to open it. Locked. So was the door in the backyard, and the gate to his garage couldn't be lifted up. But, well, I was there. I found my way in. His garage window was open. I slipped in and found myself within his house, next to his model of the town. I gazed at it, wondering if it was a map he was using to plan his killings. As I was looking at it, I noticed movement. In the model of Phil's house, one of the three dolls was moving back and forth with a clacking sound, going up and down. But the worst thing is that it was bleeding profusely. I'm pretty sure it was real blood. I could smell copper as I looked closer. 
The doll was in his model house's living room. It had small screws everywhere on it but its head. I got a closer look, and the doll looked like Alan, Harold's friend. I was shocked, and I gasped. Fuck, why did I have to gasp? I heard stomping towards me, and the garage door slammed open. It was Phil. He was covered in blood. I didn't hesitate to start unslinging my rifle. But for an old man, he was fast. He ran to his model town, reached into his wan model house, and grabbed something. Instantly, I could feel tightness surrounding my body. I couldn't move a muscle, and it hurt like hell. He pulled out his hand, and in it was a doll which looked like me. It didn't take me long to connect the dots of what was happening. Alan was in Phil's living room, suffering like I was. I managed to choke out, What the fuck? Phil, why the hell are you doing this? He responded with a calm yet cold tone. You could never understand. Wouldn't make a lick of sense to you. Although I suppose since I got you here, I might as well ask you a few questions. Let me just get rid of that stupid kid, Alan. With that, he pulled out his lighter from his pocket. He flicked it on and put the flame on the head of the Allen doll. The screams from the other room got much louder and more frequent and the horrible smell of burnt flesh filled my nose. And then all was silent. The doll's face was horribly melted and disfigured, as was Alan's, I'm sure. Phil turned his attention back to me, and with that same calm and cold tone said, All I want to know is one thing. Where's my daughter? Anger flashed in my eyes, and without a care to my own predicament, I lashed out, What the hell do you mean? You fucking killed her. Like you did with Terry, you senile old bastard. Voodoo magic devil worshipping. He simply smirked, and without a word, lit the flame of his lighter under the feet of my doll. The pain was unbearable. I saw nothing burning my real body, but it was undeniable. I could feel the scorching heat melt off my flesh. I let out a scream of pain, and he switched the lighter off. Well, you already came to my house, so I don't know why I thought you might do something smart, like give me an honest answer. I'll take it that's a no on Jane, then. He looked at me quizzically. I don't know where the hell she is, but I can find out. I mean, I work with computers. I clenched my teeth and gritted that sentence out, trying not to let the pain seep into my words. I think it helped cover up my lie, though. I didn't have a dumb clue where she was. Phil was clearly a little excited about this prospect. His grip on my doll loosened as he commanded me to find her. If you can find my daughter, do it. Now. I tried to think fast, any way I could to get out of the situation. But there was nothing really possible. I quickly responded to Phil as I could feel his grip tighten around me. Okay, okay. I just have to fiddle with some stuff on my phone. I thought of quickly trying to dial 911, or trying to get my gun as he let me have some freedom to use my phone, but I figured both were a quick path to a painful death. Instead, I just fucked around, scrolling on my phone, trying to find anything that could help me. I found it. Snapchat. I had Jane as a friend. I mean, she's one of, like, the top ten people my age here, why wouldn't I? I looked on the map, 
but she had turned her location off. I guess she didn't want to be found? But while there, I saw another Bitmoji in Des Moines that looked like her enough for me to reply to Phil. Had the same blonde short hair she had, and the glasses. I showed him the phone screen and tried to suppress any fear I had before saying, As you can see, she's in Des Moines. I found her. Phil grinned and looked at me before saying, Well, I'll be. You might have actually done me a favor here, son. Well, I'll let you go home. But you best not try to say shit to the cops or anyone. I catch you doing anything I don't like. And you go up in flames. Got it? Oh, and if you're lying to me, I'm going to make what happened to Alan look like a day at the spa. I nodded, breathed out a sigh of relief, and tried to stumble home on my melted feet. That walk of about 20 feet going home caused me unimaginable pain. I managed to get my burnt feet into a cold bath. Now I'm on my phone. I wanted to just get this all down and out there in case it matters. Phil's gonna kill me. No questions asked once he figures out Jane isn't there. I still have my rifle here, though, so I figure that at the very least, I won't have to go painfully. <laughs>